We're recording, and this is the Filmography Podcast, Season 1, The Films of Francis Ford Coppola. I'm your co-host, Reese Crothers, and I'm here with my friend Bjorn Olson. Hey, Bjorn. Hey, Reese. How's it going? And uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number nine, The Cotton Club. Yes, 1984. Amazing that we yeah. were, we're on episode nine already. I know. It's, uh, we're really rolling at this point. Well, we're trying to keep up here with Francis Ford Coppola because this is like the third yeah. third movie in what, like a year, two years. Like I don't know, yeah, I don't yeah. know what the release yep. date was on on Outsiders. We didn't we didn't go over that, but 1984. This is the third film in, in quick succession, and really, yeah. well, one from the heart was 82. So we, we're getting like more than a couple of movies a year here. Um, yeah, and in some ways, yeah, it's exciting because it's a return yeah. to the gangster picture. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I, I I was thinking about this movie and and it's there's it's a it's a sort of new era for Coppola in two ways for me in, in one way I think um, this is this movie is kind of like from this point on there's no acknowledged canon classics anymore that's right um, whether or not these movies are like when what, how we perceive them ourselves and where they fit into our tiers and our rankings and stuff like that is, 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 is something else. But I think from this point on for the rest of Coppola's career, there's, there, there may be some absolutely great movies, but there are no movies left that people lose their minds over in the way that they do the conversation or apocalypse now or, or the Godfather picture specifically. And also the other sort of uh, new era thing is, for me, this is this is the first movie uh, that uh, in the Coppola timeline that I was aware of when it was released oh, in wow. 1984. So I think like when I was in 1984, I was eight, and this was really when I started paying attention to. I had liked movies, you know, when I was younger, but this is when I started paying more attention to grown-up movies and being aware of grown-up movies, and that I actually wanted. To, to start seeing them and I think like this was probably the first year that I watched the Academy Awards and maybe the cool. Golden Globe um, so yeah it's, it's, we're kind of at an interesting uh, point in, in, in the timeline so from a personal point of view this is where you really become aware of of cinema and at the same time you this is where you're dropping into the timeline on Coppola so this is your first contemporary Coppola experience yeah, yeah, because I, I remember it coming out and knowing that this was like an important movie and, and knowing that there was kind of like movies were like some movies were for kids and some movies were for teenagers and some movies were like action movies and, and some movies were very serious movies. And this, this was one of the, the more serious, uh, serious movies. And, and uh, I mean, it, it is like a prestige film. And it certainly like it's it's a very high budget movie for its time, and it was released uh, in the Christmas season to sort of capitalize on year end um, awards uh, recognition. So it's it's it, it, it's uh, yeah, it's like it's it, you know it's it's a kind of competing at the end of the year, and would ultimately sort of uh, be second fiddle to Amadeus, but it's it's. You know, there's there's sort was of it, like was it nominated for Academy Awards? Do you remember? So it was nominated for uh, two Oscars only, I believe. Um, I have it here. It was uh, nominated for best 
best art direction and best film editing and okay. uh, didn't didn't win but it did it was nominated at the golden globes for best director and best picture and you know huh. golden globes of course as we now know are, are as we know as adults are, are essentially useless but um <laughs> but they indicate I popularity I, perceived, I think like yeah exactly that's that's what i perceived when i was a kid is that it was um nominated for golden globes um and so this was an important movie but it was a a a bomb another bomb for him so that's like unfortunately these are the films he's making where he's trying to be a commercial director and trying to Mm reestablish himself as like a hit maker and yeah i guess rumblefish and outsiders and one from the heart didn't do well and this is another one that didn't do well um but it's um it's a beautiful looking movie and in a lot of ways i mean it is it's exciting. It's exciting because he's made two teenage movies in a row, and now he's come back to a more yeah. adult story, and yeah. Yeah. brought Diane Lane along with him. Thank God. And uh, yeah. <laughs> but but you know, if you're expecting it to be from the filmmaker that made The Godfather, um, I think superficially it, it does bear some kind of aesthetic resemblance, but it doesn't mm-hmm. feel at all like The Godfather. It, it, I think you can feel some of. Rumblefish's abstractions. There's some canted camera angles, yeah. and there's something sort yeah. of. There's a little more artifice in it that maybe comes from, you know, that's in everything from one from the heart that we've been talking about onwards. Um, it doesn't yeah. have that cold detachment that The Godfather has. Um, the other yeah. thing he's bringing back is like it, that it's kind of a musical, and so I yeah. think that's something that again, this is we should say this is another one of those Coppola pictures where he has revisited it and released uh, a second version. And so we have Cotton mm-hmm. Club Encore, um, in which yeah. there are a number of musical uh, numbers that have been reinstated. Um, and mm-hmm. it really makes the film feel more like a musical. Um, and because, yeah. obviously, the characters, it's about you know musicians and jam musicians and the Cotton Club in Harlem, and um, and then also it's a crime story. But it's in making it in Cotton Club Encore, which I think I really preferred Encore um, in giving those extra musical numbers. I think it's actually Coppola's first real successful musical um, direction because I'm not a fan really of, as we discussed, like Finian's Rainbow. And I think One from the Heart isn't really a true musical, even though he has a couple of Mm -hmm. dance numbers in it. Um, But this, I thought the, the extended cut, the Encore edition, the musical numbers are terrific. They're fantastic. Yeah. So well, what, did, what you, did you watch? You, I, well, um, I watched the theatrical cut and, on, on DVD, and then I watched Encore on, on Blu-ray, and I watched... Um, and, yeah, like, I when I put on the uh, original Cotton Club DVD, which, by the way, is uh, has gone out of print. And oh, it, really? Is, uh, yeah, you can't... You can't you can't get it anymore. You you can get Encore pretty easily, but you can't get the original version, huh. which is kind of a bummer. And it would be nice if they were packaged together. Yeah, I agree. Um, but say la vie. Um, so yeah, so I watched the two of them, and 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 yeah, like when I uh, first started watching, um, you know, the original, like the first early version. That's what I was struck with, like right off the bat, is like this this is a beautiful movie. Like this movie looks gorgeous. It is really beautiful. And beyond just, you know, it looking like 
uh, you know, authentic and, and fancy and, 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 and well composed. Like it's the beauty is there of, in the way that it's telling its, its story and, and, and introducing you to its characters. But I, you like, I did get that feeling, um, when I was watching it, oh, this movie is going to suffer in comparison to the Godfather because yeah, there is definitely Godfatheriness to it. But by the time I was finished, you know, uh, watching Encore, that didn't matter. Yeah. And it's Encore is certainly less of a an, an issue. You're right because it because the uh, the non gangster element, the uh, you know the, the story of, of the performers at Cotton Club, Gregory Hines and, and Maurice Hines in particular, um, and um, uh, uh, his, uh, Lynette McKee that story has been expanded and the performances have been expanded. So it's, it's kind of two, uh, two movies in one in a way. Um, I, I, two films. I mean, we essentially it's two stories. One being a crime story with Richard, with Richard Gere as a, as a cornet player who, who falls in love with, uh, Dutch Schultz's girlfriend and eventually has, you know, has to negotiate his, uh, relationship with the mob and becomes a movie star in the, in the balance. Um, and it's a kind of a would be love story between Richard Gere's Dixie Dwyer character and Diane Lane's, um, I forget the character name at the moment, but, um, her sort of, uh, uh, gangsters mall character. And then the second Mm -hmm. story is really Gregory Hines and his brother, like you say, Maurice, um, who are performers at the Cotton Club, and really, it's another love story between Gregory Hines' character and the Lynette McKee character as they experience sort of racism and the fact that he can't even go to, as and watch her perform at the Cotton Club, or when she's because she's so light skinned that she can pass for white and she'll go to a, a mm-hmm. perform in a whites only club. He can't come in and, and see her. Yeah. And for my money, that story is is so much more effective and in in. And is so much more interesting than the gangster story, which I felt like was was had more contrivances in it. But Gregory Hines and Lena McKee were both so charming. Um, I think Gregory Hines like steals the whole picture. But but yeah, you know, there's an early scene where you see Richard Gere and Gregory Hines together, and you get the impression that they are friends. Um, and but then for the rest of the movie, the story is really. They they're intercut, but they don't really have anything to do with each other. And that was my one yeah, criticism: right, yeah. is that I wish there was more interplay between the two stories. I wish that maybe Gregory Hines' character and Richard Gere's character were better friends, and that there was some that that one story had more of an impact on the second story, uh, and right. vice versa. Yeah. There's a little disjointing. You know, I, yeah, that I mean, I did that didn't really occur to me like while I was watching it or in reflection of 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 that of of the, of the movie after I finished watching it, thinking about um, how the stories are connected and then they aren't just aren't. Um, it, it's not something that really bothered me, but definitely I think you're, you're correct in that it would have made uh, for a more stimulating um, picture story wise. If, if, if that element was in there, even if it just, if they sort of wound up being somewhat connected in the end or, you know, here and there, just obviously like, yeah, these are two, he's telling two, um, two separate stories, but yeah, I think, yeah, absolutely. That, that would have, uh, it should have been explored further for sure. But I think it, it, it's still much more successful in the encore edition 
that because the mm-hmm. second story, the Gregory Hines story, is given room to breathe, and you're given mm-hmm. more time with the performances, um, and mm-hmm. and so in some ways by fleshing it out, it seemed to restore a balance. Whereas I remember in the non encore cut, feeling a little bit like the the Richard Gear story was overshadowing the other story, and and mm-hmm. the Richard the problem with the the Richard Gear story for me is I feel like um, Richard Gear's miscast. And it's the same problem I had with, you know, Frederick Forrest in Once, uh, One from the Heart, which is just that if the characters miscast, it kind of doesn't matter how good they are or, yeah. you know, how, how good the story is. There's just something I don't, I just don't believe Richard Gere in that role, even though he's actually playing the cornet, right? Apparently. Yeah. Um, and the piano too. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, there's the scene, you know, the, the scene where he can finally confronts Dutch Schultz and gives him what for. And I'm just like, I don't believe that character would do that. All of a sudden, you know, step up to the, one of the most dangerous gangsters of all time. Um, and yeah. I wasn't really rooting for him and Diane mm-hmm. Lane to like get together. Um, even though I think they had good chemistry and obviously they have good chemistry because they were so good together in, in, um, well, why am I blanking now on the unfaithful? Um, yeah. you know, th- they, they have a natural chemistry, but, but, um, yeah. I had so much affection for the Gregory Hines, Lena McKee relationship. I thought he was just, mm-hmm. he was so charming and she was so lovely. And I wanted more of that. I wanted to see, you know, I think, I think Cotton Club could have been a movie, could have been a miniseries. It could have been expanded out, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, in, in, yeah, a, I mean, in a good way. It's it's kind of the the idea of like every character is an episode and and that it it has that potential here. Um, And so, yeah, with going back to Richard Gere, I actually kind of differ from you quite a bit on this. And I think that he's like perfectly cast, actually, Um, because, you know, he like Gere at this moment in time, he is huge. Like this is post officer and a gentleman. And so he is one of the big new stars. Like he's not just a like a star, who, you know, like a Harrison Ford level star, like the veteran star. But he is he's a star, and he's like a let's see what he does now star. And you know, like opinions sort of differ on gear and what he can do. And I, hey, listen, I, I like him. I like him a lot. I I don't love this performance as a performance in the same way that I love. Uh, his performance in American Gigolo or Breathless. Uh, oh, you like from, Breathless? You know, I haven't like seen it. Well, yeah, Breathless is really, really fun. It's not a great, great movie, but it's it's a lot of fun. Um, it's better than it, you know people think it is. I think because it's just like a lot of people think it's just this rip off, but it's it's better than that. And he's he's perfect in it. You and know so what I like him in is why Internal Affairs. Do you remember Internal Affairs? And that one I that one I haven't seen actually. But he's uh, sort of a psychopath. Yeah, I mean psychopathic cop in it, and he's like terrorizing. Yeah, Andy Garcia. He's r- really good. Mike Fidget Figgis did it. Yeah, I think we. You know, it's hard, especially like for our era that we grew up in. We saw Richard Gere as the guy who was in like Pretty Woman and yeah. you know Pretty Pretty Woman esque movies. And what's interesting about that? But I like him in this movie because I think he's—I don't think he's quite the right age because I think that yeah. um, Dixie is younger than he is in real life when the movie is made. 
But I do think that, like, he looks young enough. And I think the key also here is, like, Dixie Dwyer is a character that sort of just rolls through the movie and rolls through life in a way because he just exudes confidence. And Gear has that. He has that, like, as an actor and at this moment in his life, I think, um, because he, I think he feels like he's doing whatever work he, he wants to do and he's doing it well. And I think that that really helps um, with his performance and with this character, that he has that sort of, um, you know, smoothness to him. And, and like, uh, he's constantly, uh, um, like, violence is, is uh, he's not, he's like, the last thing he wants in his life is to have to deal with violence. He's a musician. He just wants to play. And, but he's obviously like, he talks about how he used to work as a dancer when he was younger. And yeah, that was interesting. Um, he's obviously been, yeah, like a, a, like a working musician. And it's like, and a, like a, a little bit of a gigolo. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, that's exactly what Richard Geary is at yeah. this point. Like he, he has that, uh, you know, all about him. And I, and well, he's got I, a very smooth know, veneer and yeah, I think totally, when, he, when he's yeah. at his I best mean, is when, there's some counterpoint to that veneer. Like one of my favorite performances of his is another Mike Figgis thing that wasn't necessarily a great film, but Mr. Jones, mm-hmm. you know, where he right. had this like extreme clinical depression where he's suicidal and he's walking out, you know, on on a literal edge of a, of a construction site or whatever. And with the death wish, um, like that was a great performance because he had something that was going against how beautiful he is. You know, mm-hmm. and same thing with internal affairs where like he had this menace that was underlying his, his beauty because he's a beautiful man, right? Like in, in, yeah. when you see him in something like pretty woman. It seems like an effortless performance cause he's just handsome and charming and that's like all he has to do. Um, but yeah. like you go back, like I actually never saw an officer and a gentleman, but American gigolo is like a pretty mannered performance, pretty and pretty uh, remarkably, um, uh, glamorous uh on the surface and kind of banal underneath it you know like yeah but he um but i think in 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 cotton club the early parts of the movie he's better than when he's supposed to have become a star in the movie i don't know there's just there's something about Mm -hmm. him that 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 i felt like i don't think it's a bad performance it's not like it sticks out and i think like oh he stinks um but something I, i and i couldn't tell you who i think would be better like it's I, at first I thought like imagine De Niro in that part. And then I'm like, well, that's New York, New yeah. York. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, exactly. Well, I think he was under consideration and like, of course, Pacino and stuff like that, but I'm glad, you know, Coppola went with, um, you know, a younger, slightly younger man in the role. Um, but I, I do agree with you that like he's better in the first half of the picture than in the second half of the picture after he becomes, Maybe it's just that he's not—he's not believable as a tough guy. I think there's something. Maybe that he's too pretty to be tough. Absolutely. You know, Muhammad Ali was pretty and tough, but I think mm-hmm. I think Richard Gere. That's just it. I think that I think it's just maybe maybe I don't have a problem with him in the movie. I have a problem with that one scene where he confronts Dutch Schultz, where I'm just like, I just don't buy it. I just didn't buy it, and it's an important scene near the end, near the end of the movie. Yeah, remember. Uh, I agree with you completely, and I wrote, yeah, I wrote that I had written that down as well as like this is a this is a flaw, a fatal flaw, not a fatal flaw, but this is, this is the flaw of this movie, 
and it, yeah, it, it, you're right. It, it doesn't work. I mean, I think it's like written in there, uh, you know, to have, a, uh, you know, wrap that story up, to have a bit of a coda to it. But yeah, you, I agree. Also, I got to say, I like James Remar. I'm a fan of James Remar. I don't think he oh. he does a great Dutch Schultz, only because, for me, the definitive Dutch Schultz performance is yeah. I mean, uh, he's, Dustin he's Hoffman kind of, and Billy Bathgate. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, Remar is kind of like, there's a bit of a one-noteness to it. But because of the way that he looks and how he just looks angry, in every frame <laughs> of this movie, that definitely definitely works. For I still enjoy, I still enjoy him in it. It's just one of those ones where I'm like, it's a little, totally. it's a little cartoonish. Um, but I do, yeah. I do love James Remar, and it's one of those things where yeah. I remember really being excited that he was in Django Unchained, and uh, yeah. like seeing him in a big part. Um, he, uh, yeah, he's great. But but um, you got Bob Hoskins, who's I think really good in the picture. Um, yeah, he's not just repeating himself from long good Friday. He's got like a little more nuance to him. Um, as only yeah. one meanie, I think was his character's name. Um, and, uh, Fred Gwynn, who's awesome. Um, yeah, you know, is this <laughs> the most depressed gangster of all time? Um, <laughs> you know, who else is in the picture? I guess L- L- Lawrence Fishburne, uh, as Bumpy Johnson. Yeah. Well, right? it's, I mean, uh, talking about like, you know, I mean, Diane Lane is is uh, still quite young at this point. I think she yeah. would have been twenty when this movie was made. But it is again, it, you know, we're sort of um, in the way that the ensembles of of the Outsiders and Rumblefish were kind of put together. We're seeing Coppola kind of take a chance at uh, slightly less ex- experienced actors and Gregory Hines, who, and then you also have like Bob Hoskins, who's who is new to Hollywood and his, I, every time I hear like his, his American accent is just perfect. He yeah. just, I'm always amazed at his American accent. He does it so well. And then, you know, gear, of course, a major star, but still kind of young and, and, and Nick um, Cage, Nick Cage. Yeah, absolutely. Who is, you know, is getting a lot more Nick Cagey in this movie yeah. than he was in, in uh in Rumblefish, I like I like near the end. Yeah, I like near the end when he just like he's in the hotel room and he just walks over the bed where there's a bunch <laughs> of guns. <laughs> it's like a classic Dick Cage move, yeah. to just like just walk from one side of the room to the other by walking over a bed. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a little hint of eccentricity that you don't really get mm-hmm. in his performance in Rumblefish. His Rumblefish performance is pretty straight. Yeah. But it's a, who else is who else really stands out in the picture? I mean, I mean, I, I guess of of all anyone you want to mention, it's like any one of the of the Cotton Club performers is a standout. Like mm-hmm. all those guys who are tap dancing are legends, right? Um, mm-hmm. But Gregory Gregory Hines is interesting because he's a hell of an actor too. Like he's he's an incredible yeah. tap dancer. I mean, you watch him, and I guess he was one of the choreographers of the what was it? Not choreography, but improvography or something they called it like he he's he was making up his routines but he mm-hmm. he's to watch him i mean you're it's like watching any great artist at work um but in the scenes some a lot of times you know you see a, someone's a dancer and they're great and they're graceful and, and and yet they don't have the acting chops or you know like 
a lot of times it's hard to cross mediums, but he's very natural, very charming. Um, you really feel for him in the story. I think he, Mm -hmm. he's a really, he's immediately likable. Um, and you feel for him, right? Like he's in love with this woman and, and, and he can't, he can't be with her and he's got to put up with all this bullshit all the time. Um, yeah. About not, you know, like not being able to, to, to even go into his own club. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's such a, I think that part of the story, um, is the more compelling. But another, another thing about the cotton club part that I love is obviously you got Tom Waits back playing the MC. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Every time you just hear his voice, he's, it's so like, he's so, he's so fun on screen and it's, and that voice is so good. Um, well, it's, I, I mean, I, you know, like when you see period pieces like throughout history, especially when you see them like in the seventies or early eighties and sometimes it's like, the hair hair just doesn't look right or like yeah. this person has sideburns and they, they would never have sideburns in 1930 or, yeah. you know, stuff like that. And it's like, because, you know, of course a huge reason is because Cola is so precise and, you know, almost anal retentive about the look of its, of its films that this movie, that is not a problem for this movie. It looks exactly like the way that it's supposed to look. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's obvious because you watch it today and it, it doesn't look like it's from 1984. It just doesn't like, it looks like, you know, it looks like a, a movie that was shot in 1930 that was somehow transferred to color in 1984 and released. And it's it's so glamorous, right? Everybody's wearing uh, like, you know, evening wear and Diane Lane has that like great headpiece that like makes her look like a princess. Um, and, and everybody's in, you know, uh, the best formal wear. So everyone yeah. looks, looks incredible. Um, the set's incredible. The, the cotton club itself, the recreation of the cotton club is just out of this world. Like it's, 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 yeah, it, it really makes you feel like you're there. Um, Absolutely. You know, yeah. and sometimes I feel like when they have musical numbers in the middle of a drama, like it kills the drama. But in this one, I really felt like it comes alive every time there's a musical number. Yeah, Absolutely. I like I like the fact that the way that it's designed is that it it looks like you know it would not be like a gigantic space and I think there is that temptation to do that um, if you're doing like a period piece and there's a musical number or music like it's that's part of you know what the story is about is to you know open up the space as much as you can so it's like you 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 see the spectacle but this the way that they constructed the set again like you know, very clever on, on Coppola's part. He knows what he's doing is that it's the space is, is right. Like it's, it's not a huge, huge space. It's in you know, the floor, the performance floor, which is also functions as a dance floor. Like it has enough space for enough dancers to move around as they need to. But you can also tell that like the way that it's choreographed is that it's choreographed to fit the space because there's a yeah. stand at the back and there's you have because that little backstage that, area and then you have the yeah, seating. And absolutely. Yes, you feel yeah. like you're in the, you, you the yeah. confines of the club are, are included in it. It doesn't feel like it's a fantasy world in the places. Totally. Yeah. Like it looks, it, the size looks really like the size that it would have been. And it's like, you know, not a, you know, a massive hall or anything like that. It's, it's a, it's a nightclub and, and it looked, it, it was a big nightclub, but it looks like the way that it, it should look. I also like, the look of 
um, when when it's later in the picture and and uh, Diane Lane Vera has, has opened up her own yeah. nightclub and it's a much smaller space and it's you know you yeah you Vera reminds like me of a, like a scene out of like a Jean Pierre Melville movie or something like yeah. that, you know yeah. instead of Diane Lane it could have been Catherine Deneuve in this little yeah club totally or something. yeah yeah totally this little intimate space it's great yeah yeah which is you know what. I think that that's brought more into relief when you look at, at Encore because there's much more performance in, in Encore. Um, and, and you really can, can see like the size of the, of the venue open up, uh, a little bit visually. Um, but you, you know, watched, it, you watched the two of them back, back to back. So, I mean, I, yeah. I've watched the original cut of the cotton club a number of times. So I, I, mm-hmm. you know, but when watching Encore, I didn't have the feeling of like, oh, this is new, or oh, this isn't. I I had just had a, I had a different emotional reaction to the movie overall. I had a different mm-hmm. feeling about it, and I couldn't pinpoint like this is what was added, this is what was new. Um, it just mm-hmm. felt like a totally different movie to me, um, much more alive and vibrant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wondered watching them back to back, what st- stuck out for you? What was different about the experience? I mean, not necessarily like you know w- which scene was added in. But what was the difference in the experience for you of watching the two different cuts? Well, it's funny that like with Encore um, and, you know, we've seen this before, like the, the best way to put it, I think, with Encore is there's no plantation sequence in Encore. Right. So there's no giant chunk of the movie that was excised that has been put back in. There's little spaces. And, you know, even the performances, I think, uh, a lot of the performances that exist as full performances in encore are in the original cut of the film just truncated a little bit and sometimes maybe you just see the intro of somebody and then it cuts to like um you know fred Gwynn and bob hoskins talking to each other at a table or something like that or or dutch schultz getting getting angry (laughs) um i you know i find i found uh, I hadn't seen the Cotton Club itself in years and years and years. I can't remember when I first watched it, but it was a long time ago. Um, but I found, you know, watching them together, it's like, I think Encore is a better movie, but I don't think it's a wildly better movie. I think that all the stuff that is good about the Cotton Club is in the first movie. And the second movie is just, um, it's just more of, uh, an experience than the first movie is. And I don't know if it could have been released uh, that way back in 1984. I, I, I don't think there was that much of an, of an app. I mean, of course there were, you know, epic movies, uh, especially, you know, Oscar bait kind of stuff coming out at the end of the year that was, was long, but usually it's, you know, there's more plot added in or, or something like that. Whereas with cotton club, you know, encore, there's not that much, more plot added to it. It's just, you know, it just breathes the, a little bit more. But the musical numbers to me, it's like, be like cutting the boxing out of Raging Bull. Like the, the, right. the musical numbers are like, why are you there? You're, it's called the Cotton Club. I want to go to the Cotton yeah. Club and I want to see a show. Yeah. You know? yeah. But what did you think of it? Like um, in terms of as a, as a, the difference between the two, I mean, as a musical encore, I think is, mm-hmm. is more successful. And, mm-hmm. but then as a gangster picture, um, you know, the original cut is it leans more towards the gangster part of it. So I th- I wonder, like, does it did it feel at all like like a different kind of movie to you, the two different cuts? 
or did you feel like it was just the, you just feel like it was the the longer you know extended experience uh, it's more that it's sort of two versions of the same whole um just just to me it, it was it was sort of like the way that it fit together uh in in encore it it, it all sort of fit together in the same way in the you're, you're right i mean it's and and coppola is when he talked about it he said like uh, there's too much of the white story. I wanted to make more of the black story, and right. and 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 that's and that's there for sure. Um, but it, you know, like it's, I think it's so skillfully made uh, in in its original version, despite all the uh, trouble and difficulty that were going on behind the scenes um, of what Coppola had to deal with making it. Uh, you know, I think that it's it's cohesive and you know fits together fits together well um as both a gangster story and a musical i i don't i think like you wouldn't think that as a musical or like a backstage musical in the traditional sense in its uh, original incarnation definitely more so as as encore um but you know it's it's I I like that. I mean, he's also. It's, that's the other thing that's strange about how this wasn't a success. Like, you know, there's a lot of classical Hollywood style in in this movie. Like, you see, you know, you'll, you there's there's great a great dialogue scene, and then you'll see a, a, a montage, and and then it you know goes goes back to some different characters, and and you know what they're feel it struggling with and it doesn't really make sense why this movie wasn't a hit because it I don't know it doesn't seem like that avant-garde to me no, Encore maybe a little bit more but I don't know it's it's, it's strange it that could it have just been the timing though too like you know yeah like you think about how uh something that hits at the right time can start like a mini craze like like yeah swingers <laughs> but you know um brought back that that lounge music uh you know sw- and swing music um mm-hmm. in in a surprising way like cotton club might have hit at a moment when there wasn't nostalgia for that for that period mm-hmm. you know um or something it, it just it you're right like it, it it's it's very entertaining it's not avant-garde it's not inaccessible in any way i mean like again yeah. it's a crime story and a and a musical put together i mean those are two popular genres um and i think you know, I, I, it, it's hard because when you talk about Encore, you know, that wasn't released theatrically. And and there are things that are great, I think, about Encore. Encore. Um, maybe I feel like the diff, the two versions are a little more different than, than you do. But that's my memory, probably, of it. Um, mm-hmm. You watch them close together. But, but so just thinking about the theatrical cut, um, and one, I just wonder how much of it was the fact that it's not The Godfather and and little to do with mm-hmm. what it, what it actually was, you know what I mean? Because it's like as we'll talk about Godfather three, um, I think sometimes it's like people people want something to be something else, and they don't see something for what it is. Um, like yeah. you know, Godfather three wasn't the sequel that people wanted. That doesn't mean that it's not a great film. Um, yeah. And with the Cotton Club, I think if you're expecting the Godfather, because um, it's a gangster picture. Um, and it's just so not like the Godfather. Even like again, I said before, it it bears some aesthetic resemblance. It looks a little bit like the Godfather, even though it's not Gordon mm-hmm. Willis. Um, it's still dark and, and 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 you know murky and and stylish and 
you know, beautiful. Um, but it's, yeah, it doesn't but, feel like the Godfather at all. The, the darkness, the aesthetic darkness, like, um, again, hard to do a lot of times unless you really know what you're doing. Um, but it works really, really well in, in this movie when, when they need to be shooting in low light, for sure. Well, the contrast to the musical numbers and the vibrancy of yeah. the Cotton Club Absolutely, um, yeah. performances, it's like, you know, it, it, the juxtaposition of those two, um, I think, mm-hmm. add up to more than some of their parts. Like, they, they each add a lot to each other. And it's yeah. and and it is even though like I said I wish that Richard Gere and Gregory Hines characters were more involved with each other I still think it's a cohesive feeling like I think there was a there was a there was a, a sort of a consensus on Cotton Club that it wasn't one of Coppola's more successful movies and I don't mean successful in terms of box office but like effectiveness as a picture um, and but I I found watching it this time that I was like wow this is actually like you know I think pretty pretty damn good and and like i enjoyed it so much more than i my memory of it yeah and so i you know it's i think when we finish this by the time we get to the last episode and after we've seen megalopolis um Mm -hmm. i think we're gonna have to do a ranking but it's interesting to see where i like i'm curious where you would put cotton club because i'm not even really sure yet where i would put it right (laughs) yeah you know like the gangster element to this movie again like it you know i think when this came out i mean godfather was such a huge huge film and still very fresh in people's minds and and at this point in time we're not that uh far removed from when uh you know the godfather complete novel version was airing on tv a lot it's yeah. still a huge huge deal but it's interesting that it's you know at, there's not a ton of gunplay in this movie no. and like the violence that you see like that um i i think in in encore the, the uh when uh dutch schultz um when they're having that sort of meeting of of, of the uh of the minds in the in the in the back room of the hotel room where dixie and Vera are there and uh dutch schultz uh murders the, the other gangster whose name i i forget i think it's Foley or something like that. I think in Encore the murder is much more explicit. Like you actually see the knife go straight through his throat. Right. Um, but I I don't think it's that explicit in in the uh, in the original version. Mm. Um, so it's you know you see like mobstery style gunplay when when uh, people are getting down uh, guns down um, later on. But it's not an extremely violent movie. Um, there's no equivalent you know, there, to the murder of Salazzo, for example. There's no, yeah. there's no equivalent to like the baptism sequence, and it's much more on the periphery. Yeah, I, I, and and um, I think it's very much on purpose because um, I think it's in a strange way, despite the fact that they wind up being having the most screen time. Um, I, partially also because it's a love story and it's a romance. Um, between uh we, we should talk about that actually but um the love story it's element like it's 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 not really a gangster movie in the way that like it's about gangsters and their lives it's the gangsters are kind of like secondary to the fact that they are there because that's the only way that the cotton club exists and it's more about like the social dynamic of segregation 
um, in, you know, at that time. And, and the gangsters are just there to, you know, be, be uh, patrons to, the, to, to black entertainers. You know, some of the most talented people uh, in the world at that time, Cab Calloway and, and uh, Duke Ellington, you know, who appear in, in the movie. Uh, it, it's kind of like the movie is about the Cotton Club and is run by gangsters rather than like, this is a gangster story yeah. about a bunch of gangsters who ran the Cotton Club. And sort of as a, you know, um, it's also a story of the African-American performers, very like very much so. And, and what's interesting to me about that is uh, that, like, I think Coppola does a really excellent job that a lot of, you see, before this movie and at the time and then since, that, like, uh, most white Hollywood directors can't really shoot the lives of black people very well like and coppola does that extraordinarily well like i think you see if 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 a, if a white director is making a movie and there are black characters in the in the movie directors will often shoot them kind of cartoony or like not take them seriously and it's like that yeah, element they is, always is, are playing like a, in supporting of the white story yeah. which which is Absolutely. why Encore yeah. for me works so much better because of yeah. I think I think what Coppola said is yeah. true. Like the 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 black storyline is cut short in order to make room for the white yeah. storyline in the theatrical yeah. cut. But but like you said, the segregation story, like that's really what it's about. Like I mean, I, just the fact that it's called the Cotton Club, I feel like the stuff that has to do with the performers and the people of the Cotton Club is is mm-hmm. is, is 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 the heart of the movie. Um, Dixie Dwyer like leaves and goes off to Hollywood and he plays in other places. Like he's not, he's, he's, I think there's only one scene where he does play at the cotton club, I think. Um, yeah. After he's famous and he does a quick little sit in. Um, but obviously he's a white guy, so he's not going to be one of the cotton club. Yeah. And I, 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 it's funny how this is like kind of an alternate history in a way, because the cotton club band at that time, I think maybe later on, like later in the thirties, but at that time, it was never integrated. Yeah, it was it was all all black performers, and they you know uh, there were integrated bands for sure, um, but uh, not not at the Cotton Club. So I I like that kind of bit of alternate history where he's like, well, he's so famous that we have no choice but to actually like have yeah. him play one song. <laughs> but also, like Cotton, it, Cotton Club's not that movie where you're really thinking about how historically accurate it is because it does present yeah. oh, itself yeah. in a sort of fantastical manner. You know, like the, 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 the scenes that, that are the gangster scenes even are kind of broad. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not, it's not something that like the Godfather feels like it could be a, a true story, even though it's not a true story. The cotton club does, doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it could be a true story. You know, it feels like, it feels like a fantasy. It feels idealized. Yeah, that's. I, I'm glad that you said that. That's really clever, actually. That that it's despite the fact that it's full of of, of people who existed in real life. Sure. From from Oni Madden to to Doug Schultz to Cab Calloway to Charlie Chaplin, <laughs> like it. You're absolutely right. Like it's it's. There's no one is mistaking this for real life. It's funny though. Like again, Dutch Schultz. I, w- I want to just talk about that for a second. So, did you ever see the movie Billy Bathgate? No. Um, so it was Dustin Hoffman plays Dutch Schultz and it's another yeah. sort of, it's, a, it's about a young boy who becomes like, 
you know, a, a kind of an apprentice to Dutch Schultz and, and yeah. is a witness sort of to, to his downfall. Um, but Dustin Hoffman is, as Dutch Schultz is, it's a great performance. I'm, I'm a big fan of Billy Bathgate. I think it was a movie that wasn't really that well received when it came out. Um, yeah, but it was, uh, my grandfather took me to see it. So I had that sort of special affection for it. Right. Um, yeah, but, but, and I think there's, I, I'm pretty sure Dutch Schultz has been a character in many other pictures. Um, mm-hmm. it's, when you, when I think when we're looking at the film and we're trying to say like what's its place in history within Coppola's filmography, but also with his within like the larger context of of just the film of, of its time and in film history, um, you got to say like how well does it succeed as its different components? And one component really is a gangster story, like you said. Another component is like kind of a segregation musical, um, and another part of it is. Is a, is a love story, a double love story, and so I think yeah. when when I'm thinking of it, starting in reverse order there as a love story, um, I think Richard Gere and Diane Lane have a lot of chemistry. They don't really mm-hmm. seem to me to fall in love. Um, Absolutely, yes, that's yeah, that's where I was kind of going with it. I think it's interesting that it is this love story where I don't think either of them are in love with each other. Yeah, it's but they kind of recognize some similarity in each other. It's, it's still an interesting totally. relationship that they form and they kind of, they're both kind of prostituting themselves. Um, yeah. and they both kind of know it, you know, and there's a kind of a recognition of sameness or whatever that they seem to find in each other yeah. that I think could have developed into love, but the movie doesn't really give mm-hmm. it, give it, give enough attention to that, or it doesn't give them a chance to really kind of fall in love. There's like one scene missing, you know, there's like, it's almost a love story. But the yeah. the Gregory Hines and Lynette McKee relationship does feel like a love story, and they have real stakes, and they and there's real there's a real force holding them apart. I mean, obviously Dutch Schultz is a real force that's holding Richard Gere and Diane Lane apart, but but mm-hmm. but segregation and racism um, as this dividing force in in that in the in the B storyline is really quite effective. Um, so I think, you know, when you're looking at you saying, well, how effective is it a love story? I'd say, you know, like, like the Gregory Hines, um, Leonard McKee story, hundred percent. It's like totally effective. The other one I'd say is like, you know, seven, 75%. Like it's, it, it's yeah. al- almost there. So it's still, I'd say like as a romantic picture, it's a good romantic picture. And then as yeah. a musical, I would say I'm, I'm basing it on encore. Um, but I'd say it's a great musical. Like the, the, the musical component is terrific and it's not a musical obviously in the, in the Finian's rainbow context or like, you know, where everyone stops and starts singing songs and yeah. it doesn't make sense. It's, it's they're, yeah. they're performing on, on, on a stage. Um, but in, you know, in, in the reality of their world, it makes sense. Um, and in so I feel like as a musical, terrific. Like it's an it's a eight or nine out of ten. And then as for me, the only part that like I say kind of suffers is the gangster picture element. Number one, because I'm comparing it to The Godfather, and it and I and it's an unfair comp, an unfair comparison that no way that it can outshine The Godfather. Um, number two, as a Dutch Schultz picture, I prefer Billy Bathgate. Um, number three, as a as a crime drama. I just don't buy Richard Gere's character as a credible uh, protagonist, you know, in that situation. Right. Um, so, yeah. th- so when I'm when I'm thinking about the film overall, is it, how successful it is, or whatever, I think it fares pretty well in each of those categories. But as a gangster mm-hmm. picture, uh, it's the least successful. Yeah, but you know, also like I think it does in some ways bring new new things to the table. Like it, 
it, you know, it shows uh, how the underworld is involved in the creative aspects of, of, of a big city. And um, yeah, crime you know, and music. Also, there's, there still hasn't been a yeah. great movie made about the intersection of crime yeah, and the music. But absolutely, there should yeah. be. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also you you know you see like there is that kind of vulnerability. Like Dutch Schultz in this movie, like he's just this like absolutely unhinged psychopath. <laughs> yeah, but he's like constantly getting made fun of. And like, like his wife makes fun of yeah, him. He doesn't know how to and, dress. He's a slob. He's you know, yeah. he, he, like uh, you know, Dixie stands up to him. Uh, like you know, um, uh, Nicholas Cage's Vinny character. Like he, he's like trying to strong arm him. Um, and yeah, Dutch Schultz takes a lot of shit in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Throughout the whole movie, and it's like for a movie to sort of be. It was probably sold, uh, you know, to investors um, in that way. Like, oh, yeah, this is a finally we're telling the real story of Dutch Schultz. And he's <laughs> a complete maniac and it's going to be great. It's going to be going to be Godfather part three. <laughs> um, and and, and uh, so, I, you know, I do like those elements to it. And that's, you know, something obviously like in the in the writing. The other, uh, one of the funniest things about this movie is like. Screenplay-wise, I think it's really terrific. Um, just in in the dialogue sense, like there is, there are a lot of great lines. Um, just just funny stuff uh, in this movie. My favorite is is uh, Saul Julian Beck when when uh, I think he, he's driving um, Dixie to uh, like the the hotel party, and uh, I, I forget what exactly the uh, how it comes up, but he. Richard Dixie's uh, asking him, like, what about your mother? And he says, didn't have a mother. They found me in garbage pail. <laughs> like, just, yeah, I remember like, that, actually. Yeah. Just like that. And there's there's funny, you know, one liners in this movie, which is another thing you don't expect, because there's no there's no one liners in, in the Godfather picture. No, like, Godfather's pretty just, humorless. And, and yeah. this, there's there's definitely a more humor and sort of good natured kind of fun in the Cotton Club. Yeah. A lot yeah. of that comes out of the music. I mean, because the music's so exuberant, um, yeah, and joyful, uh, yeah. You know, whereas there's really the Godfather is is a, a dour picture. You know, yeah. Um, but it, it's yeah, it's it, it's more fun. Um, but it's also like when you're thinking of it as a gangster movie, um, like you said, there aren't really those big sort of gangland hit scenes, or you know, the the sort of the the scenes that you expect to come with the genre. You know, like Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 in some ways it's like a little bit like Altman's movie Kansas City in that way you know where it was dealing with the Kansas City mob and, but, and jazz but mm-hmm. it was kind of not, not really not a musical and not a gangster picture either um, it's, it's a strange it's a hard mix I think to try and, because on the one hand to be a totally effective crime film um it's hard to stop and then have people tap dancing, you know, like it's hard to balance those. Yeah. I think the fact yeah. that, it, that it's as balanced as it is, um, yeah. is kind of a miracle because the tap dance scenes are to me, they're fascinating to watch. Um, and like, I love, I love the idea of like the scene where they're all the, the old huffers are dancing together. Yeah. Um, I love that scene. And, and you know, you, you have the feeling of being, like a little kid backstage or something or like hanging out with the greats and 
and watching these guys interact with each other. Um, but you know, it's, it's a totally different, uh, genre and different, there's no like life or death stakes or whatever. So it's in some ways you'd think that that would stop the picture dead. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but it really doesn't because it's all part of the charm. Yeah. And, and feeling like you're behind the scenes at the cotton club, um, is really kind of thrilling. And in some ways it's like, like being let behind the curtain, um, you know, in Goodfellas, like the whole idea of going into the Copacabana club through the back door and feeling like, you know, you're, you're special and the table is being brought out special for you. Cotton club feels like you have a very special, uh, seat in the house, you know? And even those like in little moments, like when, when Gregory Hines and Lynette McKee are backstage, you know, and he's one of the scenes where he's professing his love for, um, and, um, you know, you, it feels special. Like you're, you're backstage, you know, and like you're, you're seeing something that the audience is, that the audience at the cotton club isn't seeing. And there's a real feeling of being let in, in behind the curtain or in under the tent or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm so, glad that, that you, you, you brought up Robert Altman because uh, I mean, when I was watching it, especially the second, second go around with, with encore as I kept thinking how Altman S it was and that you know it's such an easy term uh to use but i really think like i don't know if, if altman was an influence on coppola when he was making this i know altman was attached to the project early on oh was he um yeah i was reading uh that uh you know they were thinking of altman to to direct but uh it, like i could see that Popeye, Popeye came out and was a massive bomb <laughs> and, and that's uh you like know, put the that idea. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the 80s the weren't Altman, good for, the 80s weren't kind to Altman. No, I mean, he did some interesting stuff, but man, I, I think he really struggled. Um, but uh, you're, you're like the way that, that it flows and that, you, you know, you can go from, um, for, you know, a, a lesser director, whether it's Coppola or Altman, when you're, you're doing a dialogue scene and, and maybe there's some plot exposition and then, it, you know, it goes to an extended sequence of tap dancing where it lets those two things can clash with each other um, from a lesser director. And it absolutely does not in this, in this movie. And also I think, you know, like there are certain like dualities in here that I don't know if, if that's also something that um, Coppola was kind of picking up from Altman, like in the way that you have, you know, a black relationship and a white relationship, but you also see things like, there's the scene where um, when they first meet, Dixie is helping a drunk Vera down the hallway, and then you see that happen again later on in the movie where she talks about how she broke her heel. And then you have, like, there's um, the, uh, uh, the, the, tap dad, the brothers tap dancing together early in the movie, and then you see them reunited near the end of the movie, and they tap dance together again. And, uh, that worked for I me. Think, that really know, worked for me. I, I, I should yeah. say that I forgot when, you know, mentioning what kind of the stories are, the brother's story, yeah. uh, was very touching to me. The idea that, I mean, that's a great, that's a great showbiz. That could have been a movie unto itself. Two, two yeah. brothers are a, a two man tap dancing act. One of them, uh, sees an opportunity to get a solo yeah. show and the other yeah. brother is smited and feels like betrayed. And then they stop, uh, being brothers essentially. And the one kind of becomes yeah. a star. And then obviously yeah. then at the end, the, the star shows up at the other brother's show and, and yeah. gives him his respect and they become brothers again. And that's, I thought that was actually very moving. 
I agree 100%. I mean, that's a, you know, that is a plot point that is as old as time. It's, you know, musicals, since before musicals existed, that was something. Um, but it's done really, really well in this movie. I obviously casting two brothers as, as the brothers helps a lot. But I, yeah, well, I when just they imagine finally... them, them tap dancing together. Um, yeah. It's yeah. A, they've been practicing that their whole li- their whole life. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. You know, it's not something you get in rehearsal, like you know, in a Absolutely, week or something. Yeah. Because they move yeah, in lock, very, such lockstep. I mean, it's inc- when the two of them totally. are dancing together as a two-man act, like yeah. it's just it's impossible to take your eyes off them. Yeah. Yeah, I found it moving as well. Yeah. It's one of the. It's. I think it's one of the sweet kind of elements of the movie that 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 I think is a real endearing um, part of the movie. That's something that. The, there's no real sweetness in the Godfather mm-hmm. or the conversation or apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Now um, there's a sweetness in one from the heart. When we were talking about one from the heart before, um, you know, when I was afterwards, after we talked about it, I kept kind of thinking about the movie and kept thinking like, there, there's a lot that I can kind of like intellectually pick apart about that movie. And I was like, but why mm-hmm. it's still lingering with me. It's staying with me. And why is that? And when I think about it now, it's really that it, it was a sweetness and a gentleness um, yeah, and Cotton Club has that in that storyline, and in yeah. a little bit, even with the way Richard Gere and Diane Lane, the fact that you do you do believe that they care about each other. Like I said, I don't know if I that they love each other, but that they care about each other, and the way that the brothers are, especially the way Gregory Hines treats Lynette McKee, um, there mm-hmm. is a sweetness and a gentleness that is just very charming, and kind of I think elevates the movie. And that's kind of a. Well, uh, trademark is like even in uh, movies uh, like you know very serious um, violent movies like The Godfather or The Conversation or Apocalypse Now, where um, you know it's a lot of harsh things are happening. There is a, a sweetness and a tenderness. There are those moments that he does really, really well, and I think you know sort of the well, yeah, like the I guess in Godfather, like some of the stuff around the wedding has that, you know, when you're watching, yeah, the, watching even, the way people are, watching the way the relatives are interacting with each other. And, even even just the, the, the interactions of, of um, the mafiosos as, as like a surrogate family. Yeah. And the way that like Don Corleone loves his, uh, you know, the, the people that work for him. Yeah. Like there is, this, I feel like there is a really true, honest, honest love there, despite the fact that if you cross them, you know, you'll, get a bullet in your brain but um yeah moments and, uh, you know, yeah and i think that you know it's that's what we were sort of looking for when we came up with the idea for this thing is we're not only to, to look at that uh, the filmography as it stands and whether we like it or not but what things show up as repeated motifs and and um that's something that i never it didn't it didn't sort of jump out at me up until up until now and looking at this movie but you're absolutely right i think when you listen to the commentary tracks from coppola you get a sense of him as a sweet man yeah and i feel like um like we'll get to new york stories something like life of zoe which is very sweet um uh jack has a lot of sweetness in it you know there are there are some movies that are sweeter than others but um but I think that I think that's him. I think that's him as a person coming through in the movie. 
mm-hmm. you know, and looking for those personal touches that those signatures, you know, I mean, again, he's working with an ensemble cast here. He's very great at casting um, and, and bringing together these groups of actors and making these films um, work as yeah. ensembles. Um, because even Rumblefish, you know, like you can say, well, it's Rusty James's movie, but it's an ensemble. The, you know, everyone's important in that movie. The Outsiders, of course, is an ensemble. I mean, th- the famous cover, you know, the photo shoot with all of them together, uh, yeah. is is a is a perfect poster for the movie because that's what it, that's what it is. It's, it's an ensemble. Godfather, of course, um, conversation is not an ensemble, but it does have a great cast. Um, you know, but it's. Um, but Cotton Club obviously is a big ensemble, and you know I think one thing is is who sticks out for me really in this movie too is Lynette McKee because she's great in uh, in Spike Lee films, but she gets small parts mm-hmm. like she was Malcolm X's yeah. mother, and then she was yeah. Denzel Washington's mother again in um, or uh, Mo Better Blues, um, you know in the flashback scenes and stuff. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think what else if she was she in. Um, but she's a great actress, and and well, she does a lot with a small role here. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I had I had seen Cotton Club before, obviously, but I had kind of forgotten about a lot of the details of it. But rewatching it, that was one of the first things that struck out at me as as, as uh, um, like seeing her and seeing that performance and 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 talent, the singing ability, yep. plus like her interacting with Gregory Hines and the vulnerability there. And also like her trying to be headstrong and figure her life out. And, and I love the, I love how he's constantly pursuing her and, and I love his tenaciousness with that and how he's really showing that this is, you know, this is like a, a deep emotion for him. And, 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 but seeing her in this movie, I'm thinking like this is a star. Yeah, like this is it's a star. This is a great performer, and unfortunately, you know, like nobody made her into a star. No, you know, too bad. Yeah, she was she was really really something in the movie, and I think one of the things is that there is no real artifice in her performance. You know, because Mm -hmm. I guess maybe it's something like to do with the fact that the gangster story, you know, they don't have the artifice of the club, so the artifice creeps into the performances, but in the in the other story, in the story of the Cotton Club performers, um, they have the artifice of the stage, and then the performers, the performances are much more natural. Yeah, you know, but she's she's just there's something like guileless about her performance. She's oh, she's in Jungle yeah. Fever as well. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at her up as we're speaking, but um, yeah, I guess I guess there's not there isn't really a big another big picture on there for her. Um, says she played Billie Holiday in a one-woman drama with music. That would probably be amazing. Right. I could see that, especially because she can sing. Um, yeah. I mean, she did a lot of stuff, though. I mean, she was in Round Midnight, Booster's Millions. Mm-hmm. So, okay, she's we're going to get back to her again, and she's in Gardens of Stone. Um, right. So we'll see her coming up in that. But then Jungle Fever, Malcolm X, uh, Alex Haley's Queen. Oh, he got game, again, as the mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time Denzel Washington's wife, but the mother of the uh, main character, um, right? Men of Honor, which I never saw. I guess that's the De Niro picture. She was in Honey. I have a soft spot for Honey. Honey, Honey, <laughs> the dance movie with um, uh, Jessica Alba. Jessica Alba. Yeah, I'm. I'm surprised that Honey is not really a film that's ever been on my radar. But I think uh, I saw it in the theater. I have a soft spot for. I saw like. Um, <laughs> 
uh, what was the one, the last save the last dance. Uh, I saw that in the theater. Right. I saw a lot of these, yeah. you know, I have step a, up. Did you see step up? Yeah, I didn't see step up in the theater, but I was a fan of step up. <laughs> and, uh, there's one with Mary Elizabeth Mastron, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and I'm forgetting what it is. Uh, but I was a fan of that one too. I love those dance movies. Um, but yeah, so Lynette, Lynette McKee, she really, ah, she should, she should have been a, a bigger star. And it says here, she's best known for her. This is on her Wikipedia. She's best known for her role as sister Williams in the original musical drama film sparkle. So maybe that was her uh, shot at a start. Right. I did not see sparkle yeah. sparkle. Oh, Schumacher written by Schumacher sparkle. Right. That might be something worth seeing. Um, I don't know, but if I hadn't heard of it before, uh, she, yeah, so she, I mean, she was great in it. Um, the guy who played Luciano, I think it was Joe D'Alessandro, right? Yeah, Joe D'Alessandro, yeah. That was kind of a yeah. chilling performance for like a, a very small part. There's something about him. I believe the guy was a killer. Well, yeah, I mean, again, like, this is Coppola's eye. Like, he knows, uh, you know, how to cast the right actor for the right role. And D'Alessandro, you know, notoriously a very, like, um, guarded, almost monotone kind of actor but with like the, the chiseled look and like, you know, like this beautiful face, but also like this hulking kind of tough guy look to him. And so when Luciano, lucky Luciano comes onto the scene, you know, he means business. And you know, this is like the changing of the guard yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what do you, so where are we at now in the filmography? What's coming next for us? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, his next movie is Peggy Sue Got Married, which is, uh, you know, his uh, uh, lead, lead role for for his uh, nephew. Yeah, actually, so we'll see, to uh, me, it's the first real Nicolas Cage performance. Like, he's yeah. he is in full, full, you know, splendor <laughs> mm-hmm. with his funny voice. And, like, he does, he does goofy yeah. stuff that is, like, so Nick Cage. I mean, I don't remember if, I think it's before Valley Girl, but I could be wrong. Because Valley Girl's a very Nick Cagey performance. Oh, Valley Girl's earlier than, than this. Valley Is Girl's uh, 83, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you're right. No, it's and it's like kind of a star-making role in a way. And he does he does a couple of things that uh, in, in, in between, obviously, uh, you know, to like probably interesting projects, but two things definitely to get him at least you know back in the back out of out of the red and into the black financially he does an episode of fairy tale theater and he does captain eo right. neither of which we will be watching no. <laughs> what was captain eo is that a, a michael jackson thing yeah it was this uh, it was like a short film that was folded into a ride at disneyland which i've actually seen and it's it's funny because I was listening to our previous episode before we started recording today, and we were talking about how a lot of um, Coppola's peers um, were doing, you know, special effects pictures and space movies and stuff like that. And Coppola, you know, didn't uh, uh, never went down that road, except except <laughs> for for Captain EO, which is like a you know Star Warsy kind of thing with Michael Jackson as the hero with like Muppets in it and stuff. I saw it when I went to Disneyland when I was a kid. I remember not liking it that much. But oh no, is it is it not worth digging up? I don't even know if it's possible to dig up because it's never. I don't think it's ever been released on disc. 
And I don't know, maybe you can watch it online somewhere, but yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think because it's like, you know, part of, part of the, the ride that it, that it's on or whatever the experience is at Disneyland where you, you know, watch this movie and then maybe like you get jostled around a little <laughs> bit when, I don't know, but that's what he does in between to, to earn a little bit of, uh, a little bit of money and get himself out of the hole. Huh. Well, I never saw the fairy tale theater episode. Yeah, I can't remember which one it is um, that he that he does uh, he does Rip Van Winkle hmm. with <laughs> with Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, well, no, that's, you know, that sounds good. That sounds good. <laughs> Harry Dean. Stanton. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe we can dig that up. Yeah, I mean, I'd watch Captain EO. That sounds like <laughs> sounds fascinating because I mean, you know, if you think about when we we're talking about Rumblefish, we've talked a little bit when, when we haven't been recording about you know comparing him to some of his contemporaries like which film is equivalent to which film and like how um mm-hmm. you know uh like you could say cotton club and and new york new york with the musical elements or whatever um but rumblefish would be like michael jackson's bad for scorsese right because they extended <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. it's a short film yeah. right but it's like it's black and white and they come they, yeah there's similarities to it um so you know <laughs> It'd be interesting to see Captain Neo is like, okay, we've seen Scorsese's Michael Jackson. What's uh, yeah? What's 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 Francis Ford Coppola's? But then we get Peggy Sue got married. I'm looking forward to Peggy Sue got married because this is a movie that um, I used to watch a lot. Like when I was growing up, my mom when we you know we moved. I think like when I was ten from the city to the suburbs, and then there was like nothing mm-hmm. to do. And my mom yeah. and my sister and I would have these movie marathons, and we'd each like pick one film, watch three films, or whatever. So mm-hmm. when when I had to watch one of the ones that my mom and my sister picked, usually I'd be like very snobby about it. And um, not my mom, actually, my mom had like great taste, but my sister wasn't really a film person. And so like, you know, if she picks some movie, I'm not going to want to watch like dirty dancing was her favorite movie. And I saw dirty dancing like 50 times. And I was like, man, I can't watch this anymore. Um, But one of the ones that they picked uh, was Peggy Sue got married. And so I saw it a lot. And, and it was one of those ones that I was like, okay, uh, secretly, I really like this, um, you know, cause it, cause it's, it's a really fun movie and it, and, it, and it's like, you know, back to the future. It's time to, with time travel and, um, all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, someone was, I think my mom or someone was just talking about Kathleen Turner to somebody and saying like, what was she, um, famous for? You know, it was like, I don't know, like she, body heat, maybe like romancing the stone, um, mm-hmm. but for me, like really her best performance, like I think is, is Peggy Sue got married. So I'm looking forward to, to picking it back up and, and, and diving into that one, which is a, a another departure for him because uh, it's a real com- comedy really. And, uh, I think kind of a surprise choice, but we'll have to look up in the meantime, find out whether it was a success or not. Cause I'm looking for that moment where his career starts to turn around for him for the better. Like you'd hope mm-hmm. that this decade he spends where he's doing projects for hire that, that some, at some point, some of them made money, you know, I don't think gardens of stone is a big hit. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, and you know, uh, for personal and professional struggles, uh, probably for the rest of the decade. But I think, I think Peggy Sue got married was a good experience. It's funny. Like my mom also, it's a movie that I watched with my mom and I know my mom is a, is a big fan of it. Yeah. I don't think she's watched it in a long time, but maybe I'll get her to watch it and, and see what she says. Cause it, you know, it takes place basically when she was, uh, yeah. 
not not quite a teenager, but definitely like a you know a young girl, and and so she remembers a lot of the stuff that happens in that movie. So yeah, yeah I think we'll, for a moment we'll, it was that we'll, same uh, thing, that nostalgic kind of thing. Which the movie <laughs> the movie has. I mean, it, it it's cloaked in nostalgia in a really nice way, the same way the Back to the Future yeah. is with you know the callback yeah. to the fifties or whatever. Um, yeah. So that maybe that's where we'll leave things off, and we'll hope that if you've been listening, um, that you'll come back and listen to us discuss Peggy Sue got married. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to uh, email us um, with any uh, questions, commentary, criticism, recipe tips. <laughs> it's the filmography of the podcast at gmail.com excellent well thank you so much Bjorn as always it's a pleasure and uh, thank yeah. you guys for listening thanks Reed. okay until next time